Let's pray together. God, we thank you for being so gracious. We thank you for making us a part of your story, the big story of everything. And that even in that, all these years, all these generations, all these places, that you look upon us and you keep coming after us. And we thank you for that and we thank you for drawing us near. Thank you for bringing us close to you every day on the days we feel it and on the days we don't. By faith this morning, as this body of Christ, we acknowledge you as our God, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I remember the first time I saw Finding Nemo with my kids. They laughed and laughed, and I admit that I loved Dory. I thought Ellen's performance was nothing short of brilliant. I loved it. But overall, I found the experience of watching Finding Nemo altogether traumatic. The whole story of a kid being separated from his parents was just a little too much. It was just a little too much. Because when I was eight, I was separated from some of my parents and my people. It's a long story, but to make a long story short, I had kind of my own little Finding Nemo moments growing up in real life, and it just, I don't know, watching a movie about it, it was just a little too much. But what occurs to me is that I think our childhoods and our stories, they impact the way that we see God. They impact the way we see salvation and Jesus and where we fit into this big mysterious world. So as a teenager, when I started really trying to find God, I began to think, and I wasn't thinking in these terms at the time, looking back. I realized that as a teenager, I started trying to find God and I started thinking of God in terms of a loving parent finding you when you get lost. That those stories of separation and reunion that I heard at church and I started hearing about, I really attached to them, really latched onto them. I thought, oh, okay, I like that about God. I, I I can hear that about God. But I didn't want to be reunited with some of the people from the past. So this is where you got to be careful with this metaphor. Because some reunions you don't want. You don't want to happen. So it's bigger than just our experience. It is our experience, but it's not limited to that. The good one for me, my image of God actually became my grandfather, um, who died when I was 12. And so my faith in many ways was a longing to reconnect with him because he was the only steady figure in my life up to that point. So again, you attach to some of your story, but not all of it. And it at least informs how you learn about God, salvation, what God is up to. It was during that time that I heard a promise from Romans 8. For I am convinced... Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when I heard that for the first time as a teenager, I thought it was utter nonsense. Sorry. I got to tell you the truth. I know that we preachers aren't supposed to say things like that, but I'm telling you, I thought it was nonsense. Nothing can separate us. Really? Could have fooled me. Sure has been a lot of separation. Nothing can separate us. But now, decades later, I read Paul writing, I am convinced, and I'm still not convinced. I want to be. I do. I'm being dead serious about this. I hope. I believe. I have faith. And sometimes I read that one passage out of Hebrews that says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I'm like, oh man, that sounds great. And then I read it again, it's like sure of what we hope for. Okay, I can be sure of what I hope for. I am certain, I think, about what he's saying about do not see, but the convinced part, really want to be, but not always. Because I feel separated from God a lot of the time. Not always. I do what I do out of a deep well of a few moments when I have been 100% convinced of God's presence. But most of the time I walk with God out of faith, even on those days when God feels distant, even on those days when God feels silent. And that's where the lost parables of Luke 15 come into play. Because one of these is about God coming for us. One of these is about us looking on our own. And the last one is probably closest to the general truth. God comes running for us, and we go running to God. Luke 15 is three parables. Sheep, coin, person. All kinds of reunions. And I think they all have to do with God, but that prodigal son one, that's the big one. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. Simple story. Very easy to repeat. hundred sheep, one gets lost, shepherd goes and finds the one, brings it home. Happy reunion. The second parable is the lost coin. Another simple story. Woman has ten coins, loses one, turns the house upside down to find the coin, finds it, calls her friends on the phone, tells them the good news of the happy reunion. And then there's this one that Jesus tells us today. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out. I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. He went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your uh, brother is back, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now is found. Separated, and now the reunion. Maybe you ran off 
Maybe the world just wore you out. Either way, you feel separated from God. You ever had that? You ever felt separated? But this story about God and about us promises that God is the kind of God that forgives, even when we squander. God is a God of grace who accepts our repentant hearts and not only accepts, but get this, comes a-running. And you may not identify with these stories and these perspectives, but here in this community of faith, the person next to you probably does. This may be their world and the one that they live in day after day. Or maybe you like aspects of this story that go beyond the story itself. For example... For those of us with, let's just say, dysfunctional family backgrounds, the whole dad thing can be kind of problematic in the way we hear this story. So maybe for you, this story is actually about the daughter coming home to the compassionate, sympathetic, forgiving grandmother. That's the beauty of parables. They work on so many different levels. Now, I will tell you, though, along these lines, one thing has always bothered me about the actual story of Luke 15, the one we just read. You know what bothers me about this story? Where's mom? Where's mom in this story? I think one thing going on behind the scenes that's not in this story is part of some weird family dynamics that make up a lot of our own stories. Because when the son came home, if mom's around, I'm sure she's probably happy to see him too. Which makes me think that there are all kinds of levels to reunion after separation that we cannot even begin to imagine. Or maybe, I don't know, we don't know, maybe Luke 15 is more of a Finding Nemo kind of story. Maybe it's just dad and the two boys. It's not unheard of. And if that's the case, it makes that much more sense that the dad would drop all norms of social decorum and go running out to his boy who's returned for the great reunion. You ever heard that one? You heard that? That for a Greco-Roman man to go running off the porch, to go, you know, after his son? You ever heard that one, that that was somehow beneath him and not in the social norms? That's actually a myth. It's, a totally, it's just totally a gross stereotype. We have no evidence for that. It's actually just one of those silly little things that we preachers pass around to one another that when we tell it, it somehow makes you think that we know more about the story than you do. But that's not the point of the Bible. And it's certainly not the point of church. And it is certainly not the point of this story. No. In fact... This father and his two sons' story has as many points as there are words in the story. But for today, for our time today in this story, we're going to pick an aspect of the story and we're going to tell it and we're going to proclaim it together. Maybe the answer to this is as simple as as both of us running to each other. 
It's not just God's responsibility, but the good news is that neither does it all rest on me to beg God to just barely save me and let me go to heaven even though I've been a bad boy. No, no, no. For today, this is a separation and reunion story. It's about the time that I took God for granted. And I came home and I told God that I squandered my salvation. And God, like a patient father or mother, or grandmother, or teacher, or whoever you might think of as the person who taught you the meaning of grace. That's God. And that's us. This is the end of the Shawshank Redemption. Andy does his part, Red does his part, and then heaven is Zewatanejo. The great reunion after being separated. And Nemo is reunited with Dad. Even though there are sharks and jellyfish and turtles and seagulls and dentists along the way. And one of these days we will be reunited in this room. And the pandemic will be over. And we can all gather as one body. No longer separated. The stories end where sometimes God is the one who comes after us. Like I'm a lost sheep. And sometimes we're like the woman who has to find the coin on her own. But most of the time, we run to God, and God runs to us, and that's the way the story ends. <laughs>